Father, we are so grateful today that as we sang each of these songs, how marvelous and wonderful it is of your love, the depth of our need for you, and Lord, our desire to press in deeper and deeper into your love and your grace and mercy to receive increasingly, Lord, renewal and restoration and healing in our lives, and we might live for your great purposes in this world. So as we open your word today, would you continue to teach us your ways? Would you continue to help us to fall underneath your authority? Lord, we do need you. Lord, I need you. I ask now that you would use me in any way, shape, or form you desire as I preach, teach this text this morning. Lord, we love you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, open to Mark 12. Mark 12, 13 through 17. There's a Bible in the seat ahead of you. It'll also be on the screens. I was thinking we should have like some puppets back here. I thinking Daniel Shabby back there with like a flute puppet. It'd be kind of cool. It'd go well, but they thought that was dumb. So we're not doing that. Uh, <clears throat> um, we are decorated all around here for Summer Blast, and I'm excited about this week. I think... As of today, with volunteers, there's going to be about 450 people running around here this week and, and more. That's just kind of where registration is now, and that's volunteers and kids. And so um, get your kids signed up. I think I did mine last night. So, uh, uh, so it's cool. If you beat the pastor, you're way better. And anyway, I've kind of known about it for a while. So anyway. Uh, <clears throat> So this morning in the text, Mark 12, 13 through 17, we're going to continue in the teachings of Jesus. And really where we're at, this is the last week of Jesus' life, and there's these final questions that are going to be asked to Jesus. So over the next three or four weeks, we're going to deal with the questions that are asked toward Jesus. This week, it's a question about money at first glance. Really, it's a question about allegiances and who it is that we have allegiance to. Questions are interesting. You can learn a lot from questions. There's these two college students, and uh, they had a test early the next morning. They'd been invited to a party about 50 miles away, and so they decided that they were going to go to the party, and they knew they couldn't make it back. And so one of the guys had a great idea. He said, if we tell the professor we have a flat tire, like, how can we get in trouble for having a flat tire? Like, you can't help that. So they went, and they came back to the professor and said, we had a flat tire. Can we take the test the next day? And he said, absolutely. And so they went in to take the test the next day, and um, he gave them the, the final, and he says, the first question is worth 10%. The second question is worth 90% of your grades. There's one question on the front, one question on the back. And so... Um, <clears throat> And he goes, and by the way, your final is 50% of your grade. He said, okay. So they looked at the first question, and it says, simple, easy question. They answered it right away. Second question, they flipped it over on the back, and, they, and, and the question was, which tire was flat? Right? <clears throat> you can learn a lot from a question, right? So, um, so Jesus is going to ask some questions in the text, and a lot can be learned by the questions we ask. So let's read Mark 12, 13 through 17 says, and they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. So they've kind of trapped him. They've asked him questions already, and now they're sending the big guns. They're sending more people to kind of trap him. Now, when it says Pharisees and Herodians, know that these are two groups that don't really mix together. They don't really like each other. So the Herodians are committed to Herod. The Pharisees are kind of committed to the law, and these, these two don't 
typically get along. But here, they get along in shared hatred. To trap him in his talk, verse 14, and they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And they are being really nice to Jesus right now. This is this is intense. Is it lawful to pay? So then they ask, you're not swayed by anyone's opinions, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and, and let me look at it. And they brought one and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, render to Caesar, have you ever heard this before, right? This is common. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So in this passage, um, I'm going to give you the simple of it. Um, So you're going to wonder, why do we preach so long if you can tell it this quick? So this is what's going to happen. They're going to try to trap Jesus. And they're going to ask this question. Right? They're going to ask, what should we do with our taxes? How should we do this? So what this text says is pay your taxes and honor God. Okay, that's, that's, the, that's the teaching of this text. Pay your taxes and honor God. But I think there's some other things a little bit deeper that we can learn about this passage and about what God has to say to us. So the first thing that we see in the text is, is simply this. If you're following with us on the back of your guide, your worship guide, <clears throat> the first thing we see is Jesus is aware. Jesus is aware. He knows what's going on. So they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians. Again, they, this common hatred of Jesus united them. Herod felt this opposition against the sun coming. The Pharisees felt, felt opposition of the religious establishment. And I, I believe they're, they're profiting off of the religious establishment. They didn't like Jesus disrupting this. And so power was moving toward Jesus. They wanted power, and they did not like him. And so they came to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true. You don't care about anyone's opinions, which obviously this was like novel, right? That there was a man that didn't do this. For you are not swayed by appearances, but you truly teach the way of God. So Jesus Tell us, you are, you are such a wonderful man. So they give him all these pleasantries. Do you ever have anybody that do, does this to you? You know they want something out of you, and so they say really nice things to you. Never happens to me, ever. And, um, and so it says, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And so here's the trap. So if Jesus answers and he says, no, don't pay your taxes, the Herodians, they have him. And then the Pharisees, if he says, if he says do, then the Pharisees, the religious establishment, we'll get into that in a minute, if, if he would have answered it that way, they would, have, they would have went back to the people that were following Jesus and said, he's a heretic. He says to do it this way. And so, so they're trying to trap him. And then verse 15 says, but knowing their hypocrisy, you might want to underline that if you underline anything, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? See, Jesus is aware And we can try to play games around him with our life like he doesn't know our intentions, like he doesn't know what's going on, just like they did. But just so we know, he is aware. I don't know if you know this, Jesus is God. And we see this this attribute of him, he was fully God and fully man. This is one of those moments in time, one, he, he simply maybe had intuition here, but the other one is he's divine. He knows what's going on. 
in your heart, in their heart, in my heart, in our lives. He knows what's going on. See, when I was growing up, I had three older brothers. And having three older brothers, there was this great thing that my parents had going on. I, I'm looking forward to it in about three to four years, what they, the game they played that I can play. That is, the oldest brother gets to watch the younger brothers when parent, mom and dad go out. I don't know if you guys have ever did that. It's, now, my experience of that makes me hesitant to do it because of the things that happened when mom and dad left the house. And so with three older brothers, we were fairly athletic. We lived on a farm, and so we had like a full baseball field out back and all these things, and we, we played sports pretty much any time that we could. So in the house, that was kind of the thing. When mom and dad left, we had this really nice archway. Like my mom had, everything was my mom's in our house, which I don't really know, like my mom's archway. Like none of, nothing mattered. I don't, my house is like that too. Everything's Debbie's. I don't know how that works. And so... So my mom had this really nice archway in our house, and we, you know, those old Nerf basketball goals, right? We just got some duct tape out, right? You just put it up there, and so we had our basketball, and we played, we played basketball for about an hour, and I think probably a lamp got broken or something at that point. Then we decided to take the ball, and with the big couch cushions that were long, um, we had it... We, we didn't call it a couch. We had a Davenport. I don't know if anybody had his Davenports. And so our Davenport, it was long, it was green, this big green. It was a really nice baseball bat. And so we decided to play baseball in the living room. So my parents, we had this long, like, quarter-mile driveway out in the country. And, and so you could see things from a long ways away. And all of a sudden, we saw headlights. And it was like, oh, no. Like, we're in huge trouble here. There's broken stuff. We're, like, the house is a mess. So we clean everything up really fast. And we're sitting on the couch. I remember my mom and dad walking in. And we're sitting there like, what have you guys been doing? And we're like, nothing. <laughs> We've been sitting on the couch. So out of breath. Sweating. We've been working. And they knew. Like, they knew what was going on. Like, they, they absolutely knew by the duct tape marks on the nice up above where we ripped the finishing off of my mom's nice woodwork. The broken lamps, the different things. They knew what was going on. I don't know if you can, like, recall back to that moment where your parents are like, man, they are genius. How did they know what we were doing? As a parent now, I realize that's because we were dumb, as uh, most children are, right? See, Jesus, in every way, he knows what is going on. And, and I just press this into your life. He knows what's going on in your life. He is aware. And, and don't, this isn't just a negative thing. He's aware of your struggle. He's aware of the pain. He is aware of the hardship and he is also aware of the hypocrisy. He's aware of the things that are said in quiet. He is aware when venting turns to gossiping. He is aware of everything that happens in our life. Psalm 37, Psalm 139, 7 and 8 says, Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven... You are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. There is nowhere that we can run or hide from God. This is what we call in theological terms the essential presence of God. There is nowhere that we can run or flee or hide from him. Even in the thoughts of our own minds, he sees us and he knows us. This is an attribute of our father. He is all-knowing. 
So for us, we can't flee, we can't run from him. And what we must do is begin to live in the reality of his awareness, live in the reality that he sees me and that he knows me, and there aren't tricks that I can play to deceive him. There's not ways that I can manipulate around him. He will not be manipulated. He will not, be, he will not allow hypocrisy to come. He knows what's up. He knows what's happening in our lives. And living in the reality of that means that I begin to honor him because I I know that he's there. And I want to honor him with my lips. I want to honor him with my lifestyle. I want to honor him with my life, body, mind, and soul. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your soul, with all your mind. This call is to something greater. Now, the issues that we face with this is we kind of live in this world where, like, it's, like, it's about being happy and life being good and people making me feel good and it's a life of positivity. So I'm going to go a little bit of a different direction for you today. See, at first glance, see, the call of Jesus is this, to crucify yourself, to take up your cross, deny yourself and come after him. I would say a good life and a joyous life and a happy life isn't the presence of a happiness in which I find myself, but it's finally dealing with the thing that that causes all the bad in my life, and that is me. What I need in my life is self-crucifixion. I need to die, and I need to let him live more and more in my life. And when he lives more and more in my life, I will find genuine joy, genuine peace, and genuine love. But our, our culture, what it says is, Man, you just, you just go after you want. You seek happiness around every corner and around everything. And, and you try to find this mecca of happiness, just so you know, maybe you're different than me, but I haven't found it. And I haven't found it in my flesh. I haven't found it in my strength, but where I have found it is in Christ. Because, see, there was this deep need that Ryan Johnston had, and I needed. I needed, I needed forgiveness for my sin. I needed, I needed someone to come into my life and free me from me. And Jesus Christ, he was the one who came. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for my sins. He was crucified for me. And in that, I have life and I have freedom because I gave my life over to him. He has given me something that I could not give myself. And so for me, when I sing the song like, Lord, I need you, It resonates deeply in my soul because I know of the deep need I have for him because I am not who I am on my own. It's a greater work that he has done in me. You see, in our lives, he gives us that which we need, that we barely knew that we needed, that now as we are growing in him, we're understanding the greater depth of our need and understanding that he is aware and he knows. See, there's this peculiar passages, like if you read the Bible under the guise, like God just wants you to be happy and to chase after whatever makes you happy, well, you can't read most of the Bible and it make any sense because it doesn't talk like that. Like Paul will say it like this, therefore, 2 Corinthians 5, or 4, says, therefore, my brothers, don't lose heart. Though your outer body is wasting away, your inner body, soul, The depths of you can be renewed day by day. See, these light and momentary afflictions, this denying of self, this giving yourself over to him, these light and momentary afflictions are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So so lay aside 
right? So put away. He says, to, don't focus on the things that are seen, but look at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary. They're transient. They're fleeting. They're failing. But the things that are unseen, they are eternal. See, there's this greater call in our life of an understanding that God is aware of our comings and goings and all that we do. And as these Herodians and Pharisees believed that they could trick Jesus, that he didn't really know what was going on in their life, we're not much different than them in the sense that we play around and we act as though he doesn't get what's going on with us. See, but he does. And you know what's astonishing more about that for me is he knows every bit of me, yet he still loves me. He still cares for me, and he's still changing me, and he's still growing me. Our God is truly a wonderful God, and his awareness loves us and, and changes us. Second, we see in the text, as Jesus calls us to integrity in life, he calls us to integrity in life, he says, bring me a denarius. This is um, end of verse 15. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And so a denarius, is, it was equivalent of one day's wages. And this was when they came under the captivity of Rome and had the emperor's, emperor's face on it. And it was a tax that they had to pay simply in a statement of, I get that we're under rule and authority. And it was homage. It was, it was a way of saying that kind of we were under the thumb of the Roman world. So it wasn't excessive necessarily in taxes. And there was a lot of other taxes that were excessive in that sense. But it was one of the many taxes. But it was one of homage. It was one of reverence. It was one of saying that we kind of belong under the authority of Rome. So he says, bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They replied, it is, it is Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. So this money literally was a property of Caesar. And so even if they had it in themselves, it was his property. It was a way of them giving back, saying, I get this is yours. So in this, what he's saying, and I already said the simple of it, is the simple, <laughs> the simple is pay your taxes and submit to governmental authorities. Romans 13, 1 through 7 will also say this, if you want to kind of do more reference into homaging and giving honor to the authorities that are around us in this world. But I'll give you the opposite of it, maybe a little bit. See, Scripture does, does teach us to pay our taxes and to live in, with integrity in our life. And so we should live with integrity in all that we do, not for ourselves and not like this is a law that God has created, because this does something. It does something to live a life of integrity because I'm telling you, if, if this is all about a greater mission that we are a part of, and I believe that Jesus came to die on the cross for me to redeem me and now use me for his redemptive purposes and his mission until I see him face to face, I believe that's true for you and each and every person who will ever believe. When we live with integrity in life, what, what happens in that? is we actually have some integrity in which our message is given. People might listen to us a little bit more if we live our life with some form of integrity. But in sense, so, so the, the message of the, this, render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, what he's saying is pay your taxes, submit to governmental authorities, you should do that with your life. But there are some examples in scripture where it says we shouldn't. So let me give you the reasons when you shouldn't submit to governmental authorities in our lives. 
The first is when we are asked to violate a command of God. In no way should we ever submit to governmental authorities in our life if they are asking or requesting us, right, asking or requesting of us as Christians to violate a command of God. So a perfect example of this is in Acts 4 and 5. In Acts 4 and 5, when the authorities arrested the disciples for preaching, um, they summoned them before the Sanhedrin and ordered them not to teach of Jesus anymore, Acts 4. So don't, don't, don't talk about this, don't do this anymore. You can't do this. Of course, the disciples went right back to it and were arrested again. And they say, we gave you strict orders. This is 5, 28 and 29, Acts 5, 28 and 29. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. And he, the high priest, said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Great phrase of the early church. They have filled their their, their city with the teaching of Jesus. Let's do that, church. It says, you, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. He actually understood the gospel. He said that, that because Jesus came and died, you will either be condemned or if you repent, you will have life. But you continue to teach. You're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood and Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than men. The disciples went out and took up preaching where they left off. Christians, we must never violate a command of God, regardless of what the state says. And so for us, we cannot violate a command of God. That is our highest authority and our deepest conviction. Second is that we must not resist. We, we must resist when asked to do an immoral act and this is in regards to ethical areas within our lives in which we may ask to be compromised. So um, whether it's in the context of governmental service, business, home, community, or even church, it is never okay, right, to act in immorality in any way that might be imposed upon us by our government. And the third, that we must never go against um, <clears throat> our Christian conscience to um, obey our government. So this much may, may involve such diverse things as participation in, in entertainment that is pushed on us, that pushes against what honors Christ in our own life, um, to working with institutions which perform wholesale abortions in our society, um, to participating or not participating in war as one conscience dictates. It's for us to live under the convictions of the Holy Spirit in our life and never allowing our government to impose upon us that which our conscience will not allow as Christian men and women in our faith and in our world. So again, we, we must never, we must never violate a command of God. We must never commit immoral acts or let that be imposed upon us. And we never, we must never Never allow our Christian conscience, let, let, let things <clears throat> enter our lives. Never go against our Christian conscience to obey government. But clearly in this text, it says pay your taxes. So, simple application of this. If you have been fraudulent on your taxes, pray about it and get it right. I remember a few years ago, um, 
I was talking to my tax guy, and I didn't think I'd paid, so as pastors, it's a little bit different. I didn't think I had unknowingly hadn't paid my Social Security. And so if you don't know, I was thinking I had like a $36,000 bill coming my way. I was like, I was going to get like a third and fourth job. That's where I was looking at, right? Like, I was scared to death. But, but I know even in my heart, I knew that this teaching, and I knew my Lord that, man, I've got to do that. I've got to make it right. Whatever way in which I can, I have to. Because I have to come under it because this is a clear teaching in Scripture, this and Romans 13, 1 and 7, 1 through 7. <clears throat> so saying that, the Scripture does leave very little unturned in regards to our life. But we also see that outside of this, there's things that we cannot do in regards to government. But what we can do is we can pay our taxes. And if you don't like it, move to Guatemala. <clears throat> so, all right, all right, which, anyway, so. <clears throat> Third, last, the last thing that we see in the text is Jesus calls us to allegiance for eternity. Jesus calls us to allegiance for eternity. <clears throat> this is kind of actually, I think, the biggest punch of the whole text. I think it's the point of the whole thing. And what he says is, and to God, the things that are God, and he marveled at them. See, the, the coin rendered the image of Caesar. Who do you render the image of? Whose likeness are you made in? We are made in the likeness of God. Genesis 1.27 says, God, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. So you and I... We were made in the image of God. We bear his image. And the things that are God's, give back to God. You are his. You were made by him. You were created at the very beginning by him. He has given you a dignity and a worth that is far beyond you. That life in and of itself is a gift from him. In life being a gift from him, being made in his image, what he's calling us to is now, now reciprocate, give your life in its fullness back to me. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, holy, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship, true, genuine worship comes in this place of this command. Give back to God the things that are God's. I am his and I give myself over and back to him. This is the response of this text. What he's asking is for us to give all of ourselves back to him. But you see, in all their trickery, they, Jesus knew exactly what they were doing. And what he drops at the end of this is a core truth of Christianity to offer the totality of ourselves to God, the one in which we bear his very own image. Our, our creator God, yet while living in this world, we live with integrity so that we might not ever harm the name, the mission, and the body of Christ. See, what we see in the life of Jesus was something simple like this. There's this leadership book that was written, and it had five core truths of every leader, of kind of what they mo must possess. And so it's in its fifth edition, and they've had, the book is called Leadership Challenge, and in it, they, they, they said, out of all the leaders that they've watched over the years, here's five things that a good leader possesses. A good leader models the way. They don't just tell people what to do, they do it themselves, right? They model the way. 
they, they don't just tell people what they do, but they enable them to act. They give them what they need to achieve what they've been asked. And, and not only that, they're inspirational. They inspire them, right? They, they inspire people around them. And not only do they do that, right, they collaborate with people around them. They, they actually let people be a part of the process and let them be a part of what they're doing. And all along the way, what they do is they encourage the heart of those that they work with. <clears throat> What's funny is there's this, this like core truth in that leadership book, this core DNA of the greatest leader that ever lived. See, Jesus, he walked on this earth and he modeled the way. He gave every bit of himself to God. He lived in full surrender and submission to God, even to death on a cross. And he modeled what it looked like to pray and what it meant like to go away and what it was like to confront authorities and what it was like to live with authenticity. And what they did, they commended him on these things. You didn't care about appearances. You didn't do this. You didn't that. Even those that didn't believe saw something good and true about Jesus. He modeled it. What we'll see in just really a few days, about, I don't know, 43, 45 days after this, see, he will fill these men that he's talking to, the disciples that are surrounding him, he's going to fill them with his Holy Spirit, and they're going to go out, and those cowards are going to do crazy things. Those guys are going to go out, and they are going to be filled. He enabled them by indwelling them with his spirit. How are you capable of doing anything good and glorious for God? Because the Holy Spirit of God himself lives inside of you. And so the Holy Spirit of God enabled them to act. And then as they began to go on, Jesus inspired them through his teaching. He inspired them through the indwelling of the Spirit. He inspired them through his word. He inspired them through remembering his teaching. They began to move forward as they centered themselves on the word of God in prayer. And then as they began to move forward, what happened is he wasn't distant. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And being alive, what he's doing is they began to do greater things than even he did himself. John 14, 12 says that truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe in me, you will not do the things, you will, you will do greater, if you truly, truly, if you believe in me, you will not do just the things that I once did, but you'll do even greater because I am going to the Father. See, Jesus, he's, he's, he began to collaborate with them. He began to work alongside of them. That Jesus and I today, we, he, as I surrender my life to him, he allows me to be a part of this great work and mission with him. And all along the way, he encourages my heart. He encouraged their heart because I know that I'm not alone. Even if I'm sitting alone in the most desolate place on earth with no one with me, I will never be alone because I have him. I, am, I will never be under-resourced in what he has asked me to do and what I need to accomplish it because he indwells within me. He encourages my heart of knowing that I was lost and sick and deep in my sin and he came and he redeemed me and this gospel message is continuing to do that, not just in my life, but in the hearts and lives of others. See, Jesus modeled, he enabled, he inspired, he collaborated, he encouraged Jesus is calling us to allegiance for all eternity. And there is nothing more wonderful than living with transparency and integrity as we serve our Savior with all of our lives. See, I think there's three things to kind of conclude this morning is this. I think there's three things that happen in our lives. I've been writing notes to some seniors, and this is what I've been writing in, and I kind of got out of a book I read recently. There's three things that we have in our life that he gives us. One is compassion. 
One of the things that came in my life and one of the things that I believe comes in our life as we begin to live our life kind of in this surrendered way is we begin to see the broken things around us, whether that's someone who doesn't know the Savior in which we know, whether that's the refuge of hope, whether that's some distant land where tigers yawn and whatever else happens, right? Wherever it is that we go, whatever we do, we begin to live in, in compassion, but not just compassion, That's easy. It's easy to live a life that is compassionate toward men and women that don't have homes. It's it's easy to say, man, this distant land, there's no one who believes we should go teach there. These aren't necessarily like the really hard things, although they are really hard when we engage in them. But it's this place where we come to convictions that people should have clothes. I have a closet full of them. And, And I should... I should do something. It is a tragedy of the unprecedented amount of deaths to heroin in Northeast Ohio. And not only should I have compassion, but I need conviction. Because conviction, that's a little bit deeper, isn't it? This is this place of burden in my heart. Like, I have to do something. I have to move forward, but not, not just on these social issues. It's moving to conviction on what the Bible teaches, not moving around it and saying, I have a conviction about abortion. More, more, more babies have been aborted in America than, than Hitler took out in the concentration camps. There is an atrocity that my friends, your friends, they never even had a chance because they're not here today. Hundreds and thousands in Stark County should be walking across the stages this week, and they're not because their life was taken. Just so you know, I've seen ultrasounds just recently from eight weeks until 40. It is miraculous. Did you see J.R. Smith's little expose they did on him on ESPN? 21 weeks could fit inside of his hand. They took her home right before the finals. Life should be protected. And we don't just say like, oh yeah, I stand there. But it comes to a place that that not only do I have compassion, but I have deep convictions in my life that I I have to do something. And that in Christ, then he gives me the courage. And this this is what courage to move forward. Because it does take courage to do something with our life. Just so you know, I, I felt it. I felt the fear of stepping into something where I know that I'm not going to be liked for what I have to say. And each and every one of you, if you engage in anything, you felt fear. Fear is not necessarily the enemy. It's just the enemy if it stops us from acting. See, this text, what it calls us to is to embrace that Jesus is aware and to live in the present reality of it, knowing that there's nowhere that I can run or hide or flee from his presence. There's no brothel, and there's no holy sanctuary in which he is not aware exactly of what is happening. Embrace that Jesus has called us to live a life of integrity, knowing that living with a reputation that honors him, that obeys his commands, that lives well within my society, within the bounds of my convictions and my conscience, it is an honorable thing but maybe supremely embracing that Jesus has called us to live a life of allegiance to him alone. See, I don't know, I don't know, I don't think the Herodians 
and the Pharisees saw the depth of the teaching of Jesus that day. But I hope under God's grace that we have seen the depth of it this morning. And in the depth of it, what will our response be? Maybe for some today, it will be a response of maybe getting some things right. Maybe we've had mixed allegiances with our heart and with our life. Maybe we've tried and been living undercover, acting like he doesn't know. And maybe the response this morning is simply to say, Lord, forgive me. I know that you do know. I need your grace. I need your feeling greater and greater in my life. I don't know what God said to you through that, but maybe for some, maybe you've never placed your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. And maybe this morning would be the day in which you say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Would you today, Jesus, save my soul, make me new, and transform my life to live it underneath your authority, underneath your rule, and underneath your reign? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this message. We thank you for this text. We thank you for your truth. We pray that you would increasingly help us to live our lives underneath your great authority. Lord, we recognize today, or we recognize that you are aware, aware of our comings and goings, the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. Lord, we, we, are, we recognize that you, of your awareness. Lord, we recognize that you have not called us to live a, a life without integrity, but one with integrity, that, that the message that we proclaim, the acts in which we do, might be received because of the integrity that you have given us as we live as citizens in America or wherever it is that you may send us or place us. Lord, we are aware that you have asked us to have allegiance and supreme allegiance to the one in whom we bear your image. Lord, we recognize this morning that we were made by you, that we were created by you, that we were made for you and for your good purposes. So Lord, for us who have believed, help us to come underneath it increasingly this morning. And Lord, for those who have not, they would turn in faith to you today. They would turn in repentance. And Lord, that you would save them. Help us to respond now as we worship. And we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. If you'll stand, we'll sing. As we sing, these altars are open. Respond appropriately.